0: and Peter. You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast, where we talk about all things mind related and embrace what it is to be human in an age of technology, digitalization and information overload. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends
1: in this episode we speak to david chislett a poet writer and creativity trainer based in amsterdam the netherlands in this colorful conversation we discuss the misconceptions biases and fears around the subject of creativity and david debunks the myths experienced by society at large enjoy listening welcome david it's great to have you with us
2: cool thank you yeah good to be here
1: and i'll just explain to people listening uh David has a training company and he's a creative trainer. We, correct me if I'm wrong, David, we crossed paths. I think we were part of an online creative conference. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Yeah. So one of these online summits and we were both speakers. So um, I think pretty much everybody spent some time going through all the LinkedIn profiles of all the other speakers. And I I reached out to a few people and uh, you were one of the few people that actually replied. So uh, (laughs) that's where the conversation started.
1: Yeah. And and there was a hell of a lot. There was like 90 odd people who were guests, right? And we ended up on, I guess, a live panel. And yeah, we both resonated with each other's story, I guess, because we're both in the same business of you know, helping people get creative. Is that right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. So um,
1: how would you say, I mean, if, if someone's to say, um, you know, what's your elevator pitch or you were networking, what would you say to people, you know, just to frame what you do?
2: Right. It's a very difficult thing to put into an elevator pitch, but here's my best go. Um, as a society, we have a massive bias against creativity and push it into a very specific corner. However, I believe that creativity is intrinsic to all human beings and that this bias is in fact robbing us of the capacity to do amazing things. And the fact that our businesses and our countries even are run with the segregation between the creative haves and the not haves is, in my view, one of the biggest sources of social ills because it disempowers people and takes away the idea that we can generate our own options and therefore take control of our own lives.
1: Perfectly framed. I like that. No, but I it, it, I really do resonate with that. And I guess that's why we connected and, you know, we got to know each other, right? Because there's so many people who, for whatever reason, uh, for us as coaches, um, in terms of the way people think, I guess it's just the story people are telling themselves. And I, when I say just, you know, I'm tongue in cheek about that. I know it's quite difficult when, you know, these things just they set in as we get older. As children, we're very creative, as you say. It's innate, right? And as we get a bit older, people tell us, you know, you can't draw, you're not good at art, and all this other stuff.
2: Yeah, but I think there's, you know, that is very true. The way we're educated does tend to beat it out of us. But there's something else going on there as well, which is essentially the fear of failure, of being wrong. And one of the key tenets of creativity is experimenting, which means running the risk of not getting it right the first time, of not being perfect, of not getting 10 out of 10 and, and, and being the top of the class. And as a society, we are massively intolerant to that idea. And especially if you look at the way corporates run, there's the line and then everyone must stick to the same line, And even when businesses are talking about you know diversity diversity of thought diversity of representation what that mostly means is saying the same stuff in slightly different ways not actually encouraging any diversity at all and that ties into the the third real big problem is that we are obsessed with very tangible measurability of everything and because so much of what goes on with creativity is kind of unseen until the result emerges. In modern business, people really struggle with that because how do you measure that? How do you put a value on that? How can I turn that into a KPI or a KPA? And uh, how can we put you through the nine-box process if half of what you're doing you can't even explain?
1: Yeah, I love that. And I guess that's been my struggle in my corporate career, right? That I'm really creative as a leader, as a people manager. However, some of my colleagues, especially... um, I guess not so much my peers, although it was a challenge at times, but it was mostly the people above me that were never comfortable with, you know, exactly what you were saying, that culturally it's mentioned, you know, we must be more creative and this, that, and the other. But then in terms of actual tangible delivery on allowing freedom for people to fail and get creative, and again, just to build trust and engagement, honestly, I believe through, I guess, from my experience, uh, you know, working for some of these big companies, you exactly what you said you need to have room to experiment and actually okay you could say it's not measurable okay but when i've seen companies with deeply engaged people where there's trust built and they're allowed some level of freedom because obviously we still have to meet goals kpis money has to be made for shareholders you know we have to be realistic but the companies where they have a bit more range to be able to, you know, play at will and fail as long as they learn and reflect and then they can build upon that. These companies are firing on all cylinders and I'd hazard a guess that their top line and their profitability is much better. So I know what you're saying. It's really difficult to measure some of these creative approaches. We could measure it after the fact with, you know, Employee engagement surveys, that kind of thing.
2: Right, but we don't, do we? Because we pay, we we get paid by how many hours we sit at our desk, (laughs) and and there's a massive contradiction at work here as well. Because any company is operating off some kind of USP, right? They've got some intellectual property at their absolute base, but where did that come from? You know, that's a creative product. Um, Their entire existence um, is at heart. From some kind of a creative
1: act, and it's and like, you know, it's what's the care to be, but yeah, that's really cool because it's all made up, right? <laughs> so, right, yeah, and and even the profitability, you know, the target to get where they need to be. So, let's be honest, every company that's in the media that's doing well, the darling of their industry, they'll have some pretty tough KPIs and targets because they want to add value, they want to grow. They want to pay the wages for all their employees and, you know, the bigger companies. Sometimes they can be as plus 20,000 people, you know. But again, it's all made up, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, who decides what the KPIs are? Those are just as uh, creative. I'm creative? It's... Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's something that just crossed my mind. But again, I'm I'm coming from, I'm not a creative coach. I, I Up until recently, I didn't think I was creating a creative at all. I didn't know what it means uh but there's something that crossed my mind you know creativity was always in the past related to art yeah. and, and i also think i even think that it wasn't even related to scientists but people that created things like really amazing like tesla or or you know all these guys And they they were never seen as a creative people, they were seen as scientists, as as if creativity had nothing to do with that. Yeah. This is what I recall hearing. But I think because of the art and creativity being related only to, or mainly to art, creativity has, a. um, it sounds uh, not serious.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. So, we've also got a very stereotypical idea about what a creative person looks and sounds and behaves like. And what we've done is we focused very much on the cu- one kind of creative person. You know, you can be highly creative and be high detail, very structured, and very process driven. In other words, a scientist <laughs> or an inventor. Or you can be a massive, uh, big picture person who takes intuitive, impulsive leaps you know, the one does not contradict the other. They are merely different expressions of the self-same instinct. And yeah, exactly what you're saying, Mia. We've, for I don't know, some bizarre reason, chosen to focus on the least explicable representation of creativity and said that is the thing, whilst conveniently ignoring the fact that every time you solve even the most mundane problem at home or at work, You are exhibiting a skill which no other being on this planet has. You are able to imagine a a fantastical or alternative future and see it so clearly in your head that you can then act in a way that makes it real. That's creativity. And yet, that can be so deeply practical. But we refuse to acknowledge that because, well, because if we did acknowledge it, then we'd have to acknowledge that most of the time we're not doing that that we're not acting on it. We're not making stuff real. We're not changing it. And we actually could be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just reflected. I mean, therefore all humans are creative. And as you say, I mean, we wouldn't have got this far as a species, right? You know, we were lucky to start to cook things around the campfire. You know, that was a mistake that we harnessed that kind of energy. And then from all of the, Books we've been absorbing around creativity and the history and the like. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. It sounds like we then developed language, we shared stories, and that allowed us to then get creative. You know, creativity to me is a currency; it's a language, right? So, therefore, every human has that pre-baked, uh, yeah. and it's just what for whatever reason, and especially Western society, we've just been telling ourselves this story for you know. Quite a long time now. And, and I see a shift. I don't know about you, David, but I, I am seeing a shift. So it's not all bad. But again, I think there's still a hell of a lot of work to do. And I guess that's why we're, you know, th- this is our passion, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I think there definitely is a shift. But in order to get us out of the current situation that we seem to have managed to reverse park ourselves into, it's it's not enough that there's people like us running around talking about this sort of stuff. You know, what's got to happen is that average people see themselves in a slightly different way as, as being somewhat more in control. And of course, for us, this is easy to say, right? Because we're sitting up here in the very tip of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, getting all self-activated. And it's very hard to imagine how someone living in a ghetto in sub-Saharan Africa is going to be able to say, oh, yes, of course, if I just uh, use my imagination, I can totally alleviate my poverty when structurally there is so much else against them. But on a certain level, they will indeed be able to take certain steps that can change their situation. And that leads on to the other massive preconception which gets in the way, is that creativity must be huge. And it doesn't have to be. You you can just move one dot, flip one detail. That's all it takes.
1: But this is the thing, it's it's not something we need to strategize, is it? I mean, obviously, we're in the game of helping people switch switch that on. But let's be honest, it's already switched on and it's already been there since the day people were born. And yeah, if you talk about someone living in a slum or someone in a challenging background where, you know, looking from the outside in, it looks like everything's against them. I'd still hazard a guess that they apply creativity to every aspect of their life. It's just that, again, it's it's the understanding around it and I guess for, for us, we're really passionate about if if anyone can just reflect for a couple of minutes, am I really creative? I'd hazard a guess that they would, if they look back at how they've been operating, you know, five minutes ago, two hours ago, last week, last year, they can really, you know, see a way forward in terms of how creative they've been and how it plays out, whether we think we are or not, Right.
2: Yeah, I, I think sometimes that that does work. However, the flip side also a- often happens where people just say, but yeah, but that's just how I do things. You know, so at, at the same time, gra- yeah, at the same time grasping, yes, it's inherent. It's totally just who and how we are at the same time as dismissing it.
0: Yeah, it's not a big deal.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've
0: just thought of something. You know, you started talking about people that are uh, experiencing poverty and, and I actually from the personal experience being uh, a refugee of war and, and living for for many years on uh, uh, less than basic uh, i've I remember my parents uh, uh, by the creative thinking being able to get us out of it so yeah. I, I sometimes think the people they are living in less uh, um fortunate situation are expressing and using their creativity more because it's survival.
2: Absolutely. And I think one of the disadvantages of the Western world is that we have automated so much stuff in one way or another. I mean, Peter, you mentioned cooking, you know, let's outsource part of our digestive process to fire. You know, that's basically what we've done, right? So our digestive system has to work less hard. So now we've got all these devices, so our brains have to work less hard. You know, apparently, sort of fact retention rates are way down because, well, you don't have to because it's at your fingertips. Um, you would hope that what that would be doing is creating more room to be creative, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems much more like Mirror is saying that in adversity people exhibit far greater creativity. But we don't call it that then, do we? It's survival instinct then.
1: Yeah. And and, you know what's just around me when you spoke then, David, is look at how many advances we've got in terms of technology. You know, we're we're living in this exciting time when, as far as, you know, we're still at the top of the food chain for now. And we have so many advances, but for whatever reason, we're still working on average 40 or plus hours a week, which is crazy because, you no, know, correct me if I'm wrong. Most of these advances really do free up our time to actually focus on create on creative endeavors. And just to be clear, I'm not even talking about artistry—you know, making music, painting, sculpting, whatever. I'm talking just getting creative. It could be just spending more time with your family and how creative you are and bringing up your kids. But for whatever reason, Western, especially Western society—again, I'm not picking on just Western people, but. We've had many opportunities to cut our working week down. You know, we're in Berlin and Germany, and again, it fell by the wayside. You know, only one of the Nordic countries seems to have got any kind of leverage in reducing the working week. Right? What yeah. Is that?
2: <laughs> well, one of the more alarming statistics is that you know now that we're deep into the information age and there's so much automation already there and and so many you know, cyber and digital tools, bureaucracy has exploded. So what we have in actual fact done is in reducing the amount of labor required to do the work, we've increased the amount of jobs there are around the labor in order to keep people busy. Because somewhere in our heads, we have this deeply Protestant notion that if we're not working, we're not worthy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, we were actually mirrors reading it at the moment. I have only read the first couple of chapters. That's
0: why I'm laughing because it just, you know, it just comes yeah, memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go
1: on, you can, you can say that one.
0: <laughs>
1: no. no, it's just there's a book we've been reading. I can't. Do you know the author's name? Uh,
0: yeah, I'll, I'll be, um, I'll be beeping myself here. It's called Bullshit Jobs.
1: On the author? Oh, I can't remember. Ah, it doesn't matter. But anyway, the the book itself is brilliant because it shines a light on exactly what you've just said, David, around all of these jobs that, for whatever reason, and people make massive assumptions, especially economists as well. And, and it's like, no, people need to be busy because they want yeah. to. be. I'm like, no. I don't know about you, David. I want to follow what I'm doing in terms of what lights me up and be you know passionate about it. But that doesn't necessarily mean I want to run myself into the ground and work every hour that God sends is what people used to say in the past. Yeah. Okay, I've been brought up in a working class society. So I guess... I'm not gonna blame my parents because they brought me up really well. And, you know, I've come from a loving family, but it really was kind of in there in terms of society and drummed into you. Oh no, you must work a whole day, you know, it must yep. be difficult and therefore then you can get reward by getting your wage at the end of the month, but then you must struggle.
2: <laughs> yes, you must always struggle because if you're not struggling um, and you have time in your hands, you might just figure out that actually the way it all works is shit and that you're being screwed over and that it could be totally different and you know the powers that be and trust me i do not believe in the illuminati but you know it's just easier if people don't ask those questions so the easiest way to stop them from asking those questions is to keep them busy with mindless nothingness that makes them tired and hitches them to mortgages and you know having to have new new clothes new cars every three years it's just easier and unfortunately because we are innately curious animals, you know we're quite willing participants on that little hamster wheel because you know, on a certain level it, it does feed us and it does drive us but of course it's the direction that it's going in the actual the end goal the end purpose which is problematic because there just isn't one it all it is is about keeping the wheel turning you know this obsession of capitalism with unlimited growth, there's two massive problems there. Obviously, it cannot be unlimited. We're seeing that already in terms of the environmental damage of the way we run our world. But secondly, in order for there to be capitalist unlimited growth, there have to be a huge number of people who are prepared to work for absolutely nothing, because in relative terms, it's something in their world, in order to make it cheap enough for you and I to buy it en masse. And Again, if anyone stops for five minutes and thinks about that, they'll realize that. Every time you buy a brand, you're keeping a child in a factory. But then when you go to H&M and buy a no-name brand, you're keeping a different child in a different country in a factory.
1: Yeah, it's a, I mean, it is a really tricky situation, right? Because we're so used to this lifestyle. And I can say for Mira and I, I mean, we've really adjusted ourselves. You know, we used to live... We, we lived in the most extreme places where lifestyle and, you know, buying things you don't need was at the top of the list. I mean, we lived in the UAE for a long time. And again, just to be clear to anyone listening, we love the UAE. We love the culture. We love the Middle East. But the only thing that we really struggled with uh, was the whole thing around lifestyle, living in a shopping mall and, you know, overabundance of things. But what that did for us actually taught us a favor, at least for me, that I didn't need so many things. And then that got us curious around, you know, what's the point of living? You know, why are we here? And then that led to other things and coaching and everything else. And then we realized that, you know, you can have a sustainable life and be very happy. But the only issue right now is that it's still a far cry from most of the mainstream of, of society yeah. although I do see a shift and again I guess if, if you act in a certain way and, and I guess that's what we're doing, we don't just say it we are taking action you know, we don't buy as much crap as, as we said we don't buy plastic we, you know, there's, there's certain things that we do, we try and be a good citizen in terms of recycling and anything else they're buying what is <laughs> is there anything with plastic I didn't. I didn't buy that was a gift. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Have you got anything behind you, David?
2: <laughs> I've just got a, I've got a curtain, <laughs> which is why it's so dark in here. It's just so bright otherwise that I've just.
1: I mean, of, I mean, joking bright. aside, what what do you think the way forward is? Because again, this is what we're passionate about, right? And we don't have the answers. I mean, there has to be some form of economy, but yeah, I I totally agree what you're saying, David. That it's not working, and there's a more critical thing that we need to look at and and it's also environmental and it's affecting our existence because I'm reading a lot of things in the news now. And again, we don't really watch news channels as such, but we do keep an eye on, you know, things around the planet and sustainability and ecology and stuff like this. Uh, A lot of scientists are starting to panic. They're saying that we don't even have up until 2060. And I'm like, wow, is that really, is it really that, um, critical?
2: Who knows? I mean, who do you believe? Uh, <laughs> but I think that in itself reveals the answer, is because we are so used in thinking in p- polarizations. In other words, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so, if you're not actively as as in being an activist around climate change and, and adjusting the way that uh, we live, then you are part of the problem. And, you know, 30 seconds of cold rational thought will reveal that that is just a false dichotomy. But that is, in fact, how we view so many things. Um, We're so used to things having to be black and white, right or wrong, yes or no, that we feel massively disempowered to make even the smallest changes in our own personal lives. Because that is what is required. We need very, very many people to make some changes rather than a few people to make massive changes.
1: Exactly. And I love that you said that because small changes ripple out, right? And we've, we've noticed this from a psychological uh, perspective that, for example, I mean, I've said this a few times in other interviews, but we have a friend in, the, uh, in Nepal. And in 2016, when the earthquake happened, I panicked. I thought, oh my God, You know, how's my friend Gopal? How's his family? How are my other friends out there? Um, obviously, I spent a few days trying to investigate whether they were okay and were safe, etc. I'm glad to say that they were. By some miracle, they escaped quite quite a lot and quite a big earthquake. Um, but it was interesting. When when I kind of had a call to arms, I was like, go pal, I'm on the next flight. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come and save the world and help you. He was like, hmm, stop you there. It's a lovely, lovely sentiment that you have, but you've just been of a mouth to feed. And, you know, we haven't got enough water. And if I'm honest, are you a doctor? Are you an aid worker? And I was like, no. And he said, well, really kind that you were offering, but you could probably do more just by, you know, shining a light on this whole situation, how desperate it's become. And instead of becoming a burden on ourselves, why don't you go out and do something for charity, et cetera? And that's what I did. So I think if you want to change anything, and that's the same as going out and trying to change the world, then I guess you need to start with yourself first.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a great quote, which has often been attributed to Gandhi, but I've actually discovered, he very likely never said it, is be the change you want to see, you know, so instead of going out into the world and trying to change stuff, change yourself, change the way you act, change the way your habits run, change the things you buy, change the way you speak about people, change the way, because ultimately, on on a kind of embarrassingly superficial level, So much of who we are is just our habits. It's just the stuff we repeat every single day. So, if you start to change your habits and the things you choose to repeat every single day, you are going to become a different person, which means you are going to have a different effect in the world, which means you can actually change more than just your own mind.
0: Mm. What I'm like, we mentioned on on the beginning, you know, people want to see big results very quickly in order to say something is working or not. Yeah. Uh, and and we live in a really fast-paced society, like I have instant gratification and all of that. And I think what used to stop me before from doing little things was, well, what's the point, you know? And I, I'm really glad you both mentioned it now. But what I wanted to ask is, what do you think? What will increasing awareness of creativity, of you know, of all of us individuals, of how creative we are and bringing that out from within ourselves, how, why is that so important?
2: Well, I think it's important because the most powerful thing about creativity is that it stops you from being judgmental, from insisting that things are right and wrong, because you then have to go, well, actually, this is quite gray. I see an array of options, some of them are bad, and some of them are really good, and there's a whole bunch in between. Once you're able to see that, then you're able to see that, well, in this situation, this is going to work, but in that situation, something else is going to work. So I think, you know, the simplest thing that's got to change is the way we deal with you know children, with education. And you know, the butt of every single joke you hear right now are millennials. And, you know, really, actually, and it's generally us, Gen Xers who are being the rudest about them. And you know why? Because they're showing us up. Mm. Because they're sticking to their values. They're refusing to work for companies which are not environmentally responsible and involved and socially acceptable and what have you. Whereas we all just sold out to the bloody man and took the highest paying job that came along. And so we're embarrassed. So we have to humiliate them in public in order to make up for that. That needs to stop. You know, it's the it's the generational version of slut shaming. You know, it's 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 ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I can resonate with that because I've been managing you know lots of that generation, and yeah, there seems to be some kind of fixed narrative. And like any generation, there's good employees who can you know who are reflective and willing to do what they're doing, and there's people who are just you know like anyone else. It, it happens regardless of when you were born so yeah. it's really interesting this generation seems to have got quite a big passion or maybe it's just because the overabundance of media and the way we can uh communicate this now maybe it was always the same right but yeah this generation of millennials uh, the, exactly that I, i've seen exactly the same that they they're not willing to take shit let's be honest they're willing to reflect in many cases that i've experienced but they're also willing to get creative. And that's the difference for me. You know, they're not there to play the game that we did, let's be honest, and even the generations before us, because that's kind of like factory mentality. That's already been done. And, And I guess we will survive because I think unless there's an extinction event and I don't want to get really dark about it, it could happen. But I'm guessing that we have the ability to get our shit together, let's be honest. But we just need to start listening to the you know young people because they have all the answers more than we do, let's be honest. And again, as you said, if we you know look at our education system and engage with these young people and say, look, you know, we're not the Oracle. You can learn from a, our experience. But also you've got a hell of a lot to give. Let's get creative. Let's engage you. You know, what do you yeah. think? and would yeah. hazard a guess that we could solve a hell of a lot of stuff. Let's be honest,
2: no yeah. I mean what's that old saying? Hire a teenager now while they still know everything.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm going back to you know they're not serious enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I had this uh, narrative in my head, but uh, yeah. And, and you know what also crossed my mind is when you're creative, when you when you f- you feel free to express your creativity, you also somehow lose fear of
2: failure. Correct. There's Uh, a very long and well-established narrative linking creativity to insanity. Because on a certain level, creatively activated people have a lack of fear around failure, which doesn't seem quite normal to other people. And of course, there are extremely high profile people who definitely have mental health issues, who also happen to be In particular very well-known artists, you know, cutting off their ears and such like. And it has always been assumed that it was being creative that led to the mental health issues, Mm. not that possibly having been always mentally ill led to creative expression as a way of coping with that disability.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, and we, we've spoken to so many people like yourself who we resonate with, who say exactly the same, that they see creativity. And, and again, I, just to be clear to people listening, I'm not just talking artists we've engaged with. We're just saying people who are creative in what they do, what lights them up. And they all say the same that, you know, I go to this place, it, it feels like it's a universal thing. It really resonates with me as an individual, with my being. And it feels like home. It feels so right yeah. that it's it's therapeutic, yeah, and yeah, although we like to label things as humans, right, so we like to lay claim that you know we can sell this, and you know I'm a therapist and all this stuff, and again, I'm not bashing therapists,
0: it's just that in terms of <laughs> the, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking about uh uh for, for pharmaceutical industry starting to sell creative pills very soon
2: yeah yeah I mean, it's
1: happening right? They're already <laughs> testing you know that they're trying to sell a way of getting more creative when we have it already yeah and, and the more we just get curious and explore it, yeah, and as you said, you know we, if you look at a child or anyone who's not been tarnished by adults telling them you know what they can and can't do, then it's pure right. Yeah, we have that as adults still. We just forget it by the narrative and the stories that we tell ourselves. And even just getting curious around—is that story really true? Whatever, just get on with it. And if it fails, so what? As you said, that experimental mindset—that's what it's at, right? Yeah.
2: So, uh, Mihaly Michalek, Michalek, right? The concept of flow. Mm. The whole point of what's going on there is that in order to get into flow. You have to reach a little bit further than you've reached previously. Not too far, because then there's a good chance that you won't succeed and then you'll be demotivated and unhappy. But you reach a little bit further so that you develop your skills, but you are tested to the max. And that in itself generates reward. And so that the next time you want to do more and you want to do more and you want to do more, It is the theory of incremental gains in action, but (laughs) all of that stuff happens behind closed doors with no one observing. So what happens is you go from being the 16-year-old geek that no one would talk to to being Jimi Hendrix overnight, and that's the myth that gets put out into the world. So there's all of these massive, like, mythical things going on where – Instead of just saying, well, if I just did a little bit of work on this, I could get there too. It's, wow, you are so good. You must have been born that way. It's like it's the only way we can deal with the reality that we just haven't put in that much effort. It's much easier to just say genius exists and how how hard someone works has got absolutely nothing to do with the end result. When you talk about sport… Everyone's really happy to talk about coaches, training regimens, improvement, gym, nutrition, sleep, which pillow, how many hours uh, on the field or on the track. And, you know, that, that's a shameless part of the discussion around sport and about top sportsmen. We admire them for it. But we don't do the same about businessmen, about entrepreneurs, about inventors or artists. Them, we just expect to be natural emerging geniuses. It's. It, it's crazy,
1: isn't it? It's like we, we, we think that it, it's not reachable. It's We put them on a pedestal. But then, if you read most of the biographies of people who are still alive, so at least we can fact check to a certain degree, you find out that there's a hell of a lot of experimenting. There's a lot of failure. And they're, and they're just in their element. They're just lit up and they just do what makes sense to them, right? And again, this whole uh, thing about 10,000 hours, it's BS as well, because as a musician, uh, I'm not going to say it was good or bad, but you know, I put in many, many hours. But then I met people who were like, "Holy shit!" They put in barely half of what I put in, and they were very good. But
2: again, that wasn't customers being sorry. not it, it's, it's not just ten thousand hours. It's, it's got to be ten thousand hours that are focused on improvement. In other words, they've got to be reflective and taking the next step each time. Because you're right. I mean, yeah, you know, I've played guitar for thirty years. Uh, you wouldn't say so having hearing me play guitar because I never did it in a way that was focused on improving my technique or my knowledge or what have you. I just sort of banged away at it like a caveman with a rock. And therefore, I never reached the pinnacle of someone like a Jimi Hendrix. So, again, it, it, repetition is massively important.
1: I think it's good. Yeah, I agree. But I just don't think people have this as humans. We have this. It must be this. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Again, practice and practice in that in that right frame. I think it's really important because yeah. I too have spent many hours in a really agitated state trying to polish a turd, <laughs> so to speak. When you know, in hindsight, you know, years later, I'm like, oh, that's where it's at. Just to not have so much on it, and it, and if the wheels yeah. come off, then actually, that's where the sweet spot is. Because so many yeah. times, when I've given up and and thought. This is it. I'm gonna. am gonna sell all, the, all the equipment. I'm not gonna make music anymore. I'm useless. And then, li- literally an hour later, I'm like, wow, where did that come from? And yeah. It's sometimes what? like giving up and just, just to embracing the fact that you're always gonna have a solution. Although at the time, I give up and I was like, I've got nothing yeah. in the tank. I'm, I'm finished.
2: Well, there's a, there's, a there's a very nothing. clear. Yeah. Sorry, there's a very clear neurological explanation for that is that the amount of synapses that fire when you have an aha moment are only a couple of hundred. The amount of synapses you that fire when you're having a stress out about whether this is right or wrong or good or bad are several hundred thousand. Yeah. And when synapses fire, they go snap, crackle, pop, like your Rice Krispies in the morning. And so if you're stressing out and trying too hard the whole time, you're never going to hear the aha moment. You may well have had it, but you're not aware of it. Close, so yeah. by not trying too hard, by relaxing, by taking a step back, you hear it that's why you get all your good ideas in the shower or when you're i don't know doing yoga or going for walking the dog or washing the dishes automated behavior where your mind is set free and you're kind of happy and you're most certainly not trying too hard
1: so what you're saying is basically once you turn that white noise down and you're tuned in to creative energy therefore it's always in the background is that what you're saying
2: Pretty much, yeah. It's not about dialing the in, the creative energy up, it's about dialing the rest of the crap down.
1: And the rest of the crap, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like that's just thinking, right?
2: Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> surprise,
1: which surprise, surprise.
2: Yeah, you know, which you know, biologically speaking, all thought is a post-fact rationalization of something that we did.
1: But you know, going back to business, I think this is a good segue back to the business side of things. I think that's the problem because as a as a as a leader in companies. They tried to train the creativity out of me, even though they, it wasn't, that wasn't the mindset, you know? But it, they were kind of like, you know, you must think your way out of a problem. And I'm like, nope, that never worked for me. Because, yeah. you know, how many times have you sat in a room with individuals as a team? And, you know, I did this many times. And people were trying to really, you know, I could feel attention. The and then as soon as people were like, what if we just do this? You know, with the childlike mind come out. And again, not. Yeah. like they were acting like babies or children but they just got curious about what if we do something that we've never tried before and then there's a few people going no i don't know i don't but you know they, they 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 got through it hats off to them and then bam the whole team's like holy shit that might work yeah. that doesn't come from cognitive thinking really no. hard no
2: And if you want to do, I mean, anyone who's listening, you want to do a snap survey of people you know, just ask them where they were last time they had a really good idea. And I personally will be astounded if more than 5% say they were actually at their desk working.
0: Well, maybe they were working on something else.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's always a big one as well. Yeah,
1: Controversially, they were doing work that didn't really add any value, right? Because this is another thing about, I guess we talked about this, David. I'm not going to mention any companies, but it's a real challenge, isn't it, to sometimes unless you've got good connection with a an entity or big organization that are a bit fearful oh you're a creative coach we're not sure that's going to work How are we going to quantify that as we talked about right yeah but again going back to this it's actually where it's at if you want to improve your top line then if you want a sustainable business then you know you need creative people creativity in every level whether it's the grassroots people doing the real work, so to speak, or whether you're C level or the CEO. You know, you have to apply. And and again, people are doing this day in, day out. It's just that they get in a bit of a pickle because they overthink stuff. And then as as we've just said, they the innovation, the fresh ideas are always there if you yeah. can get around it. And just I guess like flexing the muscle, right? It's not a strategy, but you still need to hone those skills right
2: well you know i've, I've mentioned automation a few times uh, and quite deliberately so because you know that's why this whole idea of doing something like the morning pages is so important um you know when you you know to use art for once as, as a direct example when you engage in regular practice what you're doing is you're fine tuning and and almost automating the neurological or in- intelligence skills required to do a particular task and so in other words, you know, you're becoming more efficient at creating sentences or, or, or you know fretting your guitar or whatever it is that you're up to. So that when a really good idea comes, all you're focusing on is the good idea, not the technique required to deliver it. But that's why those things are so important, not because repetition on its own is necessary the cure of all evils, but because once you have taken the mechanistic challenge out of the way. The intellectual challenge can really swim to the front, and then you have the technical skills to support it and to do more with it. But Stephen yeah. King has sat in the same chair from 9 until 12 every weekday morning for like 30 years. That's how he writes so many books.
1: Yeah, he, pre- he prepared for an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's at, right? You know, if you hone your skills and you get over yourself in terms of your own thinking and just enjoy it. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that every day is going to be all gravy and everyone's going to be happy as Larry. But again, if you can just embrace that, it's going to be up and down, which is fine. We all go through that. And this is the thing. If we universally, you know, me too, brother, everyone has some kind of thinking that, you know, gets in the way sometimes. But if you're okay with it and you don't try and fix it, like we said, you know, you're doing something else. You go for a run, you're cooking for your, for, you know, for your kids and then bam, it hits you. Not like a lightning bolt, because it's not like that. But again, as you said, in terms of your brain chemistry, it is pretty cool. That's still every day. I don't get bored of it because I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. Because we always have it in abundance yeah. and it's there when we need it. If we can just get over ourselves, right?
2: That's it. And we need an abundant supply of, 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 of bits of information in order to join those dots, to have those moments. So being really observant and paying close attention to what's actually going on around you is a massive part of creativity. And that's where screen culture really starts to get in the way, where you find people spending so much time looking at their phones instead of the world around them. Um, And especially when they're engaged in social media, where they're only getting the same kind of feedback back because they're in their little echo chamber of friends, you will find people starting to become less and less creative because the point of view that's being thrust into their faces is so uniform and they're not actively seeking out anything else because when they're not engaged in that world they're not engaged with any other one either
1: yeah and that's the thing i mean this is what we're all about in this podcast is embracing your humanity you know your human self and we all get lost in it i do you know mira has to pull me out of the matrix sometimes you know it happens but yeah the more we embrace ourselves what we're great for you know why we're still surviving why we're at the top of the food chain the more we'll be able to solve, you know, some of these challenges that, f- that we face, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll have to stop here because we could go on forever, right? You know, Clearly. thank you. This conversation <laughs> has been really, really insightful. So thank you, David. If people want to reach out to you, yeah. you know, they're looking for some creative solutions or they would like uh, to find out what kind of training programs you have, how can people best contact you?
2: Best place is my website, davidchislet.com just let's spell with two t's at the end
1: wonderful well thank you very much it's been a real pleasure david
2: cool thanks
0: bye
1: thanks a lot bye Ciao. thanks for listening to the mind takeaway podcast if you enjoyed this episode remember to subscribe leave a review on itunes and share with your friends